Hello, my friend. I have for you today the most inspiring, powerful conjuring episode. Joining me today on Mind Witchery is Bernadine Watson, Dean, as I know her. And Dean is a poet, a writer, and author of an award-winning memoir called Transplant. I just pinch myself to tell you that Dean is also a friend of mine. She is a force of nature. She is glamorous. (laughs) She is grounded. I met her long ago when I was a yoga teacher, and we met in those yoga and wellness circles. And I remember when once upon a time, her now award-winning memoir was an idea and a desire, and to see it in its full fruition, to read it. And I'm telling you, I read it in a single sitting, basically. I read it, I read it over the course of a day. It was so engrossing. It was just, ugh. I felt like I knew everyone involved. It was, it was such a pleasure. So I asked Dean if she'd be willing to talk about what I think she does so well, not just in in her book, but also in life, which is conjuring the fullest self-expression. She agreed. We had the following conversation. I hope you find it as inspiring and like fire under the ass lighting as as I did. Okay, so Transplant a Memoir is available everywhere they sell books. You can, of course, visit our show notes. There's a link there where you can grab a copy. Mm, I hope you love listening to this conversation. Wonderful, glorious, just superstar Dean Watson. I am so honored to have you here on Mind Witchery today. I can't even tell you. Welcome. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you so much, Natalie. And I am very happy to be here. We've said for a long time that we were going to do this. We have said for a long time. And, you know, I was thinking about it. We've known each other for a long time. Yes, we have. We We don't see each other half as much as I would like, but we have known each other for a long time, and I'm very glad to have you in my life. Oh, same, same. I'm so, I'm so grateful. So, Dean, today we are talking about something that you are doing so beautifully, so thoroughly, so inspiringly. We are going to talk about conjuring fullest self-expression. And of course, that happens, I think, in so many ways. But one of the ways that you're doing it just in a splash right now is with your award-winning memoir called Transplant, a memoir, which just Congratulations on this book being out here in the world. In this moment, the book's been published. 
The book has won the 2023 Washington Writers Publishing House Prize for Nonfiction. You were talking at Politics and Prose last week. You were in the Washington Post this week. Like, how is it feeling in this moment having your book in the world? I'm feeling a lot of things. My emotions go up and down and then up and down again. Mm. One, I'm feeling very uh, happy and proud of myself because this is something that I've wanted to do for a long time. And just the way my life has gone, I've had to wait until there it was time for this to happen. And this seems to be the time. I'm 72 years old and suddenly I have this book in the world. It actually isn't sudden. It took me a good while to write it. But right now, as you're talking about, in this moment, I have this book. So I'm very happy and I'm very proud of myself for that. So that's one set of feelings. Another set is I'm feeling incredibly exposed. I am just not used to having so much attention. I have written all of my life. I was a professional writer in my career, but mostly for foundations and nonprofits, and I've done some uh, freelance work for newspapers, but I've never written about myself. And I decided to write this memoir about my experience with kidney disease. And when I sat down to write it, the whole story of how I felt about my life and this illness that I've dealt with for about about 40 years, it just came pouring out. And now it's out there and I have to uh, live with it being out there. And it's a little scary sometimes. Yeah. I mean, the book, I told you, I, I read it in a day. <laughs> I just devoured it. You are such a full person, like a fully expressed human in these pages. That's that's how it felt to me, Dean, because it is a story about your kidney disease, but it's also a story about identity and family and love and class and, and, and. I mean, what I get from this just extraordinary piece that you've written is you. I was like, this is a whole person. So you say that it came kind of flooding, flowing out. What surprised you about that process? Well, I say that it came flooding out, and that's when I actually sat down to the computer and worked, because it did take me almost a decade to write this book, mm. uh, because it was so much. I didn't even know that I had this much to say, or that mm. I I could say it. And I think that is what, what surprised me. I never thought I was going to be willing to tell everything that I told. Mm. Because if, if you, um, you know, when you read the book, I have this chapter, I think it's the second or third chapter called My Secret Life. And it talked about how I grew up with secrets and how I lived with the secret of my disease and how I come from people who just don't. Uh, communicate a lot of the personal things that are going on in life. Mm -hmm. But I, what really surprised me was how ready 
I was to be at what you say is full in the world. It's like all of my 72 years just wanted to come out. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's been a process. It's been a process that I guess I started maybe after my uh, second kidney transplant where I figured, you know, I've gone through all of this. I don't want to be invisible. Mm-hmm. I don't, I want to be seen. I want to be heard. Uh, I want to be, as I heard Kerry Washington say a, a few weeks ago in an interview she did on NPR, I want to be the main uh, character in my own story, in my mm-hmm. life. I figured mm-hmm. it was time. Mm-hmm. So um, it was that that you read coming out <laughs> when you read the book. And it still surprises me that I did that. There are so many things I love about this book, but one of the things that I love when I say you're a whole person and you know how much I love you and you know I mean this with love, like you share your petty moments reading it. I felt like I was, I mean, you are my friend and I felt like, oh, I'm talking to my friend. I'm not getting a curated version Mm -hmm. of this woman. I'm getting all the feelings. I'm getting the beauty and the inspiration, but I'm also getting like the frustration and the anger. Well, you know, I grew up in a family where there were a lot of people, five kids and my parents, and an even larger extended family that was very involved in my life. And there was just not a lot of room for individual attention. Mm. And then I had a child early in life and I spent a lot of time raising him and working uh, at jobs so that I could have benefits for he and myself. And then I had this illness that I had to uh, pay attention to. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be seen in whole. Mm-hmm. And I sort of, even though I went back and forth in my feelings about it, as I was writing the book, there were times when I just really didn't care that people would see me being petty because it's a part of who I am. And um, I think people look at you and they think they know you and they think they see you, Mm. but they really don't see you. And I Mm. felt like I had this opportunity to be seen. And, um, you know, I think as an African-American woman in America, you just don't get to be seen that often. And, um, I wanted to be seen. I wanted to be seen, even though it was kind of scary. Yeah. I mean, listen, as an African-American woman in America, there are a lot of reasons to not show yourself, right? (laughs) I mean, it can be a scary thing. It can be a dangerous thing. So it is just so extraordinarily courageous. I love talking about people are like jewels and we have all of these different facets. And so for me, when I see the side of you that is critical alongside the side of you that is so generous, right? Mm. Um, The side of you who is side-eyeing your dialysis mates, Mm -hmm. and then the side of you who is visiting one in the hospital with a bunch of sports magazines. (laughs) I just see you shimmer and glitter as this authentic, and I think that word is is a little... uh, diluted in this moment, but but really like real, true, authentic 
person. That's how it felt to me. And I thank you for that because I think that not even in a memoir, but just in everyday life, I think people are so worried about presenting a curated version of themselves rather than a whole version of themselves. Well, my whole version is out there now. And I um, I don't really feel like curating. Mm-hmm. And I think some of it is age. People say a lot that, you know, as you get older, you don't care about this or that. I don't know if that is true for everyone. And I don't even know if it's due to age. I think it's sort of the work that you do on yourself. And I didn't really start doing a lot of this work until I was older. Mm. But uh, you've known me for a while, uh, Natalie, and you've seen me in yoga class. You've seen me at retreats. Mm -hmm. You've seen me through some of this growing process. Yes. And I want to thank you for the part that you played in it. I really appreciate having you in my life. But at some point, I just decided that a lot of the things that I felt like I needed to keep quiet about myself. And some of them, some of them were even good things, like what a good writer I am. Mm-hmm. I just did not want to, I didn't want to be uh, quiet or silent about them anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of it has to do with moving to Washington, D.C., where you can easily be invisible unless you put yourself out there because there's just so much noise and so many people and so much talent and so mm-hmm. much stuff going on all the time. And so many people who seem so big. I live a little bit in that world because my husband is in the media. So I meet a lot of these people. And I began to think, I have something to offer. I want to be seen, not in a way that's obnoxious or anything like that, but I want to be seen as a whole person, Mm -hmm. Uh, not just to the outside world, but I wanted it for myself. I wanted to feel that way for myself mm-hmm. and about myself. I wondered about this just as a, you know, as a former <laughs> English PhD person. Mm-hmm. I wondered if there was a sense in which transplant was also about a South Philly girl moving into transplanting herself into these kind of upper echelons of the not just the movers and shakers, but also the literary community in Washington, D.C., because you are also an accomplished poet who gives readings, right? And so I did kind of wonder um, if that was intentional or if that was just something that I was was noticing. Well, let me just start there. Was Was that an intentional kind of second meaning? Well, you are very wise, Natalie, because uh, the title of the book, it can be taken a number of different ways. Mm. That was not the first title of the book. The first title of the book was not Transplant. It was, I, I can't remember, Love, Lost, Life, One Black Woman's Journey with Kidney Disease or something mm. like that. And my editors and publishers suggested that I think about a shorter title. And I thought, okay, Transplant, Nicole, and one Black woman's journey. But then I was talking to a friend on the phone and she said, well, what about transplant? Just transplant. And we started talking about the different ways in which the term could Mm. be taken and the different 
um, ways in which I've had to transplant myself yes. in my life. And this is, I think, what you're referring to mm-hmm. uh, from the community that I grew up in. I've gone in and out of my relationship with my family, just so many different uh things that I've had to go through in my life. And yes, Mm -hmm. the whole idea of being a South Philly girl, uh, which is who I am at heart, I really have had to, I've had to go through lots of changes, lots lots of transplants uh, in my life as a part of my own growth process. And here I am. And here you are. And I I kind of wondered if, the transplanted part then needs to be kind of like integrated into the whole. And I wonder if it isn't partly like an ultimate way of integrating into this Washingtonian community of movers and shakers and and literary powerhouses. If there, if there isn't kind of an aspect of that, that requires you to say, this is me. This is my story. This is worth listening to. And I'm so interested to hear that, you know, a subtitle that was kind of like a black woman, a black woman's blah, 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 blah. It's like, oh, no, this isn't a black woman. This is Dean Watson. (laughs) This is this is a particular woman who is, yes, African-American and also herself maybe first and foremost. I don't know. How does that feel to you to well, hear that? I think that as a an African-American or a, a Black woman, I don't know that I can separate myself out from that. That is who I am. But I am Dean Watson. I'm mm-hmm. Bernadine Watson. Mm-hmm. And I did not have to write this book. I mean, I did not, I could have stayed in my own little life here. And I'm not suggesting that my life was so small before Transplant came out. I mean, I've done plenty of things. I've had important jobs. I've written for the Mm -hmm. Washington Post. Mm -hmm. But this idea that I could stand in my fullness in this place, I don't know. I might have written the book had I lived anywhere. I don't want to make too big a deal out of it. Yeah. But. It did make a difference to me mm-hmm. that I just wouldn't be seen as Joe Davidson's wife, for example, which yeah. happens quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. Still. Yeah. Um, well, Dean, I guess like if to kind of clarify a little bit, like I don't at all mean that you would separate from your identity as a black woman, as an African-American woman, but it's almost like this book is not about you being a representative of that. Do you know what I mean? It's like, this book is about you. Yes. Yes, you are right. And you know what? As I was writing it, I thought some, that there would be some African-American people that would not appreciate me being so honest, Mm. that would not appreciate uh, me not being so close to my family at some times in my life, Mm -hmm. because that's a very big value, you know, in the African-American culture, would Mm -hmm. not appreciate the fact that I wasn't necessarily religious. 
in the traditional way. And I thought about those things, you know, that I talked about my bodily functions, which is not something I don't know about other cultures, but in my own culture and family, it's not something that you talk about. Yeah. And so I thought a lot about it, that as I was writing. And at some point, I just didn't care. I I wanted to not be afraid. I think that's another thing that I want to say about writing this book. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to have um, to be afraid of my body, my thinking, mm-hmm. my values. I didn't want to be afraid for anybody to see anything, you know, that was me. And I, I just didn't want to hold back anymore. And you don't. <laughs> and from from my perspective, that's that's certainly how it feels. Um, I'm curious, like, how did you do that, like, practically, in, either when you were writing or when you were editing? Like, like, how did you turn away from fear and toward fullness? Well, I don't know that it was necessarily just starting with the writing. I think it's come from a lot of the work that I've done on myself Mm. over the years. I've been uh, in and out of therapy, dealing with family issues, dealing with my, the issues in relationships. As you know, I've been married a few times, Mm -hmm. uh, dealing with my own uh, internal insecurities. And I wanted to just feel whole, healthy, and full. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it was a technique I used in the writing, uh, maybe in the editing when I decided to leave some things in Mm -hmm. (laughs) and not edit them out. But it really came from a deep sort of longing to not edit myself. And I meant in life and in the book. Yes. Well, it's funny when you say that I have just such a clear memory of a retreat that I led. This was years ago, Dean, but it was the one at the beach and Mm -hmm. you came. And I remember you were like, I was talking about the schedule and, you know, I always build a lot of spaciousness into the retreats and you're like, oh yeah, I will be napping every day at, I don't remember what time, but I remember in that moment, I was like, a, this is exactly who I love to work with. And B, this is goals for me to just say, this is what is important to me. And so I will do it without any, is that okay? Is that going to, is that going to mess the schedule? You, you were just unapologetic about it. And I loved it. That comes from two things. One, physically, I do get tired. I need a nap. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether other people, I don't know whether it's an age thing or if it's a thing that I have this disease that makes me have to take a lot of medicine and that works on my body. But mostly it is that I just need to unplug and take a break. Mm-hmm. And uh, I use that time for both napping and meditating. You know, mm-hmm. I start out meditating, I'll fall asleep or I wake up and then I meditate. Mm-hmm. But it's become essential for me to sort of stay sane for the way I want to operate in the world. Mm-hmm. When I am rested and feeling what you call full, I'm much kinder and nicer. And I feel able to interact with people and the world the way I would like to. And it's not always that it's kind, but it's the way I want to be. 
in mm. the world. I'm not trying to be nice, <laughs> but I'm just trying to be, quote, authentically me. Yeah. yeah. And so I find when I'm rested, when I'm on my goals, when I'm, you know, doing the things that I know make me feel good and healthy, mm-hmm. I'm just a better person to be around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting to hear you say that that understanding and way of living is really what undergirds your ability to be so fully expressive in in the book, right? Because, you know, I talk a lot about how we are taught, especially as women, and then, you know, compound it for every other underrepresented, minoritized identity we have, right? We Mm -hmm. are taught that like, no, the way to be generous is to completely ignore yourself. But actually, it is so generous to be full. Like that's maybe when we're most generous. Yeah, I think that's right. I think we think people won't accept us when we're full. Mm. But the people you need to have in your life, and that you want to have in your life, love you more when you're yourself. I have also experienced that. My relationships have gotten better as I've gotten older and come more into myself because people kind of like who I am and I like who I am. Mm -hmm. And so I think it makes everything better. Yeah. I think that piece right there, Dean, is what is a key from today, from our conversation, this idea that the people who you need and want in your life will love you even more when you are full. Like just my sweet listener, did you really get that? Like, let it sink into your bones. Let this woman's wisdom sink into your bones because that is, um, that is so it. Is it okay, Dean, if we turn back to this idea of representation? Because sure. here's here's how I'll say it, and I and I hope I'm speaking for lots of people who might be interested in writing a memoir, right? Okay. The first question that that I ask myself and that I think comes up is, well, who really wants to read about me? Right? And then I think, well, I but I could write about a challenging divorce. I could write about my upbringing as a, you know, like exceptional, gifted and talented, blah, blah, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I, I, I think my mind goes to, well, in order to relate, what I need to do is figure out what's the experience, what's the bigger experience I'm representing. I know in the beginning, one of the things that was important to you was telling the story of your kidney disease, especially because it is an undertold story of an underserved population. Yes. Did representation, did that feel more important in in various parts of this project or did it never occur to you? I'm so curious. When you say representation, you mean who I was representing in the it, book yeah it's kind of like who I'm speaking for I guess mm-hmm. I have a I guess I guess I'll be very sort of honest and say I have a thing that's like well does anyone really want to read about Natalie probably not but they might want to read about 
an entrepreneur who divorces, mm-hmm. right? Like they might want to read that story, but probably not just my story. So that's kind of what I mean by representation. Like, did it start as like, well, I want to tell the story of like, like your subtitle used to be mm-hmm. a black woman navigating mm-hmm. kidney disease. Yeah. I guess I can go back to a conversation I was having with a friend. We were new friends and I was telling her about my kidney disease, my dialysis, the five years I spent on dialysis, my two transplants and blah, blah, blah. But the thing that she responded to when she said, boy, that's a book. She was talking about the way I personally navigated all of that. Mm -hmm. And so she thought that that was the story more than the illness. Mm-hmm. And that was one way I thought about representation. I thought, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a I'm a woman, a black woman who's had a particular experience trying to become herself. And I think there are a lot of black women or women period or people who could relate to that. And so that was one kind of representation. It's interesting, as you were answering, I was thinking about the book and I was thinking about, you know, the parts that really moved me and drew me in. And they are actually the very small moments. (laughs) They are the tiny moments. Like there's the moment where your dad has passed and you're all at the house to have the, you know, the dinner yeah yeah Mm -hmm. the repast and um and the house is full of his food and he's not there but it seems like he should walk in any minute that's such a specific experience and yet I know from when my dad passed exactly what that feels like Mm -hmm. yeah well you know I also I mean I think I also want to say that while I wrote this book primarily because I wanted to write the book I wrote it in many ways for myself. I also wrote it for the African-American people that are living with kidney disease. And as you say, the disparate uh, rates of kidney disease amongst African-American people. And so I also wrote it because I wanted to raise up this issue. Mm -hmm. It was not... I don't want to say it wasn't my primary motivation because my motivation to speak for myself is something that's so integral to me, you know, that I had to want to do that in order to write the book. But I also wanted to bring those people in the dialysis center, you know, kind of along with me. I want them to be seen. Mm -hmm. African-Americans make up 13% of the population but 35% of the people with kidney failure and 35% of the people on dialysis. And I think that's horrific. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to bring those people along to be seen. You know, I wrote that part of the book where I come out of the dialysis center and I come up from the basement and out Mm -hmm. into the light and across Mm -hmm. to the Starbucks to have a Mm -hmm. cup of coffee. And all I can think is, wow, there's a dialysis center downstairs yes where a whole room full of black people are sitting connected to these machines Mm -hmm. and all of these people walking around up here in the light 
know nothing about it. Yeah. And so I also felt like I was representing them. And there was one way in which I began to feel like I was, they were my people. It's like Mm. I could not separate myself Mm. from them. And the fact that we all, you know, we had this disease that the health system was not paying enough attention to. So I have to say that I not only felt like I was representing myself as a me, as Dean, as a Black person, as an African-American woman, as a woman, but also for the underrepresented people who deal with so many disparities in this country. I will say uh, like another nod, though, to that multiplicity that we talked about, like all of the different sides, Mm -hmm. is that you manage in doing that, Dean, you manage to represent without flattening or stereotyping. Mm -hmm. It's like the folks in dialysis I feel like I know them. You brought them to life and they were so different. Mm -hmm. They were all such a different expression as terms of like how they got there, why they were there, Mm -hmm. why they would stay. I mean, all of it. It was just it was so extraordinary. And I just I guess in my mind, there's there's a responsibility when we step up to represent. Right. That we are. Uh, sophisticated and nuanced about it and that we don't kind of flatten and you didn't do that at all and it was just it was so compelling and moving to read I have to say as I as I read you kind of returning to check in that that I it was devastating to me yeah (laughs) as we as we found out like you know where is everybody and what's going on it was it was such an emotional roller coaster because I really I really felt like I had gotten to know these folks? Well, you know, it's so interesting. The people that I got to know in dialysis, they were people that I already knew in my life from when I was a kid and growing up. I mean, Mm -hmm. I knew people like T. He was like my Uncle Bobby. I knew people like Sandra, who sat next who Mm -hmm. sat next to me. I knew Mm -hmm. these people, but I thought I had, um, you know, I had moved on. Mm -hmm. And even admitting that still gives me kind of chills. I don't like admitting that I felt like I had moved on. Yeah. But I resented (laughs) that I was back in this place Mm. with these people. But those people were kind to me. And it made me really realize that I needed them Mm -hmm. uh, as much as almost like I needed dialysis. We were all Mm -hmm. in there together and they were individual, (laughs) funny people who didn't deserve to be in the position that they were in life. Yeah. Yeah. I really felt like that. I felt like, you're right, I had a responsibility to write well about them. But, you know, when I was writing it, I was just writing about that. I love those people. And I was just writing, um, I was writing about them. I was remembering them. I could see the whole thing in front of my face. I could see uh, myself walk into the dialysis center. I could see red-eyed Clint sitting right there. Mm -hmm. And I could see T and I could see Sandra those people will never leave me. 
Yeah. Well, your poet's fingers rendered it so that I could see them too. I really felt like I could see it. And, um, oh my gosh, just. Well, I'm glad for that. Thank you for telling me that because I, you know, I don't always know what people are going to, how they're going to take things when they're reading the book, but you're a particularly open and sensitive person, Natalie. So I totally get that you would see those people in that way. Mm. And I hope other people do too. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I'm sure it will not be just me. I mean, it's just so exquisitely rendered. There is a reason you are in, what is it? Poets and writers top five over 50. Is that what the, is that what one of the most recent? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They they weren't wrong. They weren't wrong. They know. (laughs) So that's kind of, I guess, maybe I think one first thing, this idea of like, okay, there's my story. And then there's a story that I'm representing. Thank you so much for speaking to that. The other piece, which you've touched on a little, but I would love to ask about is, um, Um, I think you'd agree, like, we're all living our own stories, and all of our stories are connected, right? So you can't really separate my story from my family's stories, my partner's stories, right? Where they're all kind of connecting. And and you talked about Carrie Washington about saying, okay, well, I'm going to be the main character in my story. I am also just wondering if you could just share your wisdom around sharing so fully about people in your life who may not see things the same way. Um, As I think a lot about if I were to really tell, for example, the story of my divorce, well, I would have to go way back into my own upbringing and I would write some things that would be hard for a lot of people to read. Yeah. Well, first you should know that I did not tell everything about Everything, everything and everybody yeah. in my life. Mm-hmm. I did hold back because I knew some things would be hurtful to people. And this book was not at all to try to hurt anyone. Mm-hmm. I thought of, I interviewed people. I interviewed my sisters and my brother. I interviewed my kidney donor. You know, I interviewed other people who had um, been on dialysis or who have kidney disease even. Mm. And I just, and I made some decisions I did about what I wouldn't say about other people and about my interaction with other people, because I know one of your favorite things to say is that we are always Mm co-creating, co-creating life. You don't do it by yourself. And, And that is true. But I do have to say, I still there are people in the book who have not read it yet, people in my family. And I'm a little nervous about how they will feel about some of the things that I said. I, I mean, there's nothing mean or any mean uh, intention, mm-hmm. but, you know, people have different uh, tolerances for being exposed. Yeah. And uh, I did not ask permission from anyone to say anything, but I did leave out things that I thought, you know, would not be kind or, or useful. Mm. Um, and in some ways I'm still on, um, what is the word? Tender hooks. Yeah. Uh, about, um, some feedback that I might get. I did talk to one of my sisters, uh, yesterday who told me that the book really helped her mm. think, think about, her own place in our family mm. and un- and understand some of her feelings mm. about her relationships in the family. And mm. I really felt 
glad about that. Oh my gosh. Because we ended thinking that we could be even closer, she and I. Yeah. Because one, I did not know that she was feeling some of the same things in the family ah. as as me. And I wouldn't be surprised if I hear that, you know, from some of my other siblings. But I'm also a little a little nervous still sure. about some of the feedback that I'm going to get. And I will also say, you know, my mother's 96. My father uh, died when he was 73 or 74. And I'll just say that I will read portions of the book to my mom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I don't know that I would have written the book if my father was still alive. Mm. I really appreciate that. It's so funny. I have to say, you render people in this, not just yourself, but also people in this book so thoroughly that as you're talking about talking with one of your sisters, I'm like, ooh, which one? <laughs> I feel like I feel like I know them. I feel like I have a sense of them. And that's just such a testament to your both your skill as a writer, but also your your sensitivity and your and your and your willingness to share um, what you pick up on and what you feel. It was just I realize I've I've said a version of this 20 times now, but Dean, you are just so exceptionally courageous and and gifted in this ability to talk about life as it is, really. Like it moves me, you can hear it moves me to tears. It moves me to tears. you know, Natalie, I appreciate that. I don't always recognize it in myself, but I will also tell you that it's not always appreciated by everybody. Just ask my husband. (laughs) (laughs) I can tell some truths sometimes that people don't want to hear. And, you know, sometimes there's ways of, of telling truths that and then you have to massage it and there's just sometimes things that you don't say but Mm -hmm. I I'm still learning how to be myself how to be honest and how to be truthful but how to be kind and how to uh kind of bring people along Mm -hmm. um with me in my co-creation I will say Mm -hmm. and I'm hoping that that's what is going to happen even more with my family. Mm. Well, I have to say one of the kindest things, even though it doesn't always feel beautiful at the time, is just being fully truthful. And I I felt that so much in this beautiful book, which I, my sweet listener, you will have a link to Dean's book in the show notes here. Um, you might also want to find her poetry. (laughs) And if you are in the DMV, you absolutely want to keep your eyes open for when she might be doing one of her readings. Um, What are you up to next, Dean? Where where do you go from here? Well, I have a lot still to do with this book. Fortunately, I don't have to write it anymore. Mm -hmm. But uh, I have a reading at the Writers' Center coming up. Mm -hmm. There's also going to be another that I'm doing with my writing coach, Maria Golden, at uh, Sankofa Bookstore and Cafe. That's November 2nd. So there's a lot of things going on with the book Mm -hmm. that I didn't actually expect. But there's, (laughs) there's a lot that I have to do there. But I'm glad you mentioned my poetry because I don't want it to get lost in 
transplant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I was working on a book of poetry when I submitted this transplant manuscript to the Washington Writers Publishing House for their nonfiction contest. I had tried to get an agent for transplant and couldn't find one. And I just thought, well, you know, I'm just going to like maybe write some short stories from it or whatever. But um, and I just started to write a uh, a book of poetry because I've I've wanted to do that, too, for a long time. And then I won this award and um, have been kind of on this whirlwind with the book. But my heart cries out mm-hmm. <laughs> for a book of poetry. I have a lot of poems that um, I'd like to see in a collection, but I also want to tell a story with a book of poems. Uh, yeah. just, and so that's what I um, that's what I'm starting to turn to. And I I just said to myself this morning, you know, you're going to have to make some time to really work on this book of poetry because I could just let transplant take up all of my time right now. Yeah. But I I do want to do this book of poetry. And then I have another another idea of a book of short stories called South Philly Girls mm-hmm. that um, will be loosely based on a character that's kind of like me, but won't be me. Mm, I love it. And I'm, as you say that, um, Dean, I'm, I'm just, I'm remembering back to like another moment. I can just really, I remember exactly the table we were sitting at when we were talking about you starting this book. Mm. Correct me where I'm wrong, but it sounds like these projects call to you. It's not like you are making them. It's like they are like, okay, hey, it's my turn. (laughs) That's what it sounds like. Is that how it feels? It does. It does feel like that. And, you know, I'm sort of, I'm in this space now. I'm in this world where I feel like I can do it. I mean, that I've been fortunate enough that I'm healthy. I don't have to worry about money right now. I mean, mm-hmm. I've worked and saved my money. And so I I have that kind of freedom because I have a husband that is doing okay. And I don't have any children that I have to take care of. So I'm in this place where my situation is kind of meeting up with where my headspace is. Mm. And so I feel like I'm able to answer these calls now. But mm-hmm. I also have to remember, you know, that I have to add a little discipline to that mix and start mm-hmm. sitting back down at the uh, computer and mm-hmm. doing my work. I will like ever so slightly edit to say that, yes, you are fortunate and you worked for that and you were lucked into and gifted. I mean, right. It really is all co-created. We get lucky. We get boons our hard work pays off um we also sometimes catch like really shitty luck right i mean there are moments of that in this book too where it's like are you are you kidding no like how is that you know and it's but but i guess i just there's there's something that feels like important to highlight which is that yes everything is co-created and and but you like you are powerful beyond beyond what you know. It doesn't mean you get to call all the shots, 
but you can call so many more. We can call so many more than we realize. Yes, that's right. And thank you for reminding me of that because, you know, I'm talking about this place that I've come to, but I still get up every day and say, okay, Dean, you know, get yourself together. What are you going to, you know, how are you going to take advantage of this place that you're in? What are you going to do with this life that you have? And I know there is a poet that has this great quote uh, about their one wonderful life. I can't think of it Mm -hmm. right now, Mm -hmm. but um you know, I still have those moments where I have to push myself to be my full self. Yes. I think we all have to do that. Oh, I think we all have to do that. And I, I, I hope that today's conversation inspires you, my listener, as much as it has inspired me to fucking do it, <laughs> to, to push ourselves to be in our fullness. Dean, thank you so so, so much for being here and for sharing so candidly about um, about your process and about the book. Everyone, you, you've got to go and you need to book a day <laughs> just, <laughs> and just read the thing because you won't be able to put it down. So just don't even don't even try. So, Dean, for the people out here who are feeling inspired and are ready and are thinking like, okay, yes, like I, I want to do this. Maybe I want to tell my story. Um, maybe I want to start treating myself like a main character in my own story. What's the wisdom pearl that you'd love for them to carry around in their pocket? Well, I, I think it's you are the most important person in the world, mm-hmm. really. Because if you are not your whole full self. The world will not know you. You will not know yourself. You are it. And you have to take advantage of it. I love it. I love it. Okay, there you have it, my listener. Dean Watson, thank you so much for being here today. Everyone, go do it. Be the main character. Be the most important person in the whole world because the world has to know you that's what you're here for. Thank you so much for listening and bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mind Witchery. To catch all the magic I'm offering, please subscribe to the show. Or if you want a little bit of weekly witchiness in your inbox, sign up for my Sunday letter at mindwitchery.com. If today's episode made you think of a friend or loved one, your sister, your neighbor, please tell them about it. We need more magic makers in this troubled world. Like all good things, this podcast is co-created by stellar people. Our music is by fabulous DJ, artist, and producer Shammy D., Our gorgeous art is by the Sorcerers at New Moon Creative. Mind Witchery is produced in conjunction with Particulate Media, K.O. Myers, executive producer. And I am Natalie Miller. Till next time.